Nemesis. Alright, so welcome everybody. Today we'll be discussing Kafka's in the Penal Colony. Um, this is a more of a discussion format and we do encourage everyone to uh, participate with their microphones or in the chat. Um, with that, I like to kind of kick things off by just asking for everyone's kind of general impressions. So, uh, what did you guys think of the test? What stuck out to you? <clears throat> so one thing that stuck out to me about this uh, story was um, just how, uh, I mean, one thing is just how relevant all the aspects of it, I think, are to a lot of things we've been discussing and reading and I've been reading and thinking. Interesting to, hear, interesting to hear what everybody else got from it. Um, <clears throat> one particular theme is uh, justice that uh, I uh, enjoyed getting a perspective on from the story. Okay. So Dud's interested in the, uh, the Kafka's discussion of justice. Um, Anyone have any thoughts on that or some other themes they picked up on? For me, I think what always stand out, stands out with Kafka is the um, general texture of um, the narrative because as always, as you're reading quite a lot of Kafka, um, you get a sense of there being something wrong uh, or like how people are behaving in the story is often something really wrong and absurd. It, it continuously confuses you. Um, and sort of invites you to enter absurdity and see a uh, situation from in there. So that's um, something that stood out. I just wanted to see what the texture feels like uh, and then get into um, the narrative itself. I like that, the texture of the narrative. Yeah, there's definitely, like, even going back to the theme of justice, there is this sense of, like, um, I don't want to use the word conscience per se, but there is definitely, like, an encroaching sense of um, thinking about morality or just thinking about the, the absurdity of it all, right? Like, it's kind of a strange story in that regard. It's not quite Camus talking about how to live with the absurd, but it's it's definitely got... A lot of um, absurdity to it, nonetheless. Go ahead. Alfred. I really like the. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry if my sorry if my connection's bad, again. I'm trying this out to see if I'll be able to stay or not. But uh, I, I just I really liked the idea of this. This guy is the officer's devotion to this previous commandant and his obsession with the machine to the point that he feels the need to, you know, sacrifice himself to it almost. And I was writing in one of the channels that, not, not that I compare myself in any way to Kafka's writings, but just it resonated a lot with me because a lot of the writing I've done in kind of these like surreal things that were done engaged with those themes. I like the idea of. Because uh, it didn't actually strike me as very absurd necessarily. It's very disturbing, and, and there's a sort of surreal elements to how the machine works and why it's all happening. But I like just the seeing like the degree to which this person's obsession with an idea, you know, takes them to this next level. I, I think I like that part of it. 
I think that's, and I like your point too. It's it's not an absurdity like we're used to in Camus, right? It's it's something somehow stranger yet more rational in weird ways. Um, so I, I'd actually, I think you've given us a great place to to really begin the discussion uh, because the officers kind of the character that has um it's almost like him doing all the talking right like it's almost soliloquy after soliloquy about law and um commandants and that and commandments uh so what do you guys make of the commandant uh or, or rather excuse me what do you guys make of the officer what do you think of his notion of justice well the officer definitely represents some kind of He's clinging to a an, a previous idea of institutional order, and he doesn't like the his idea of justice. Clearly, has to do with some idea of like loyalty and fulfilling, the, you know, the, the wishes of this person he's devoted to, versus any kind of liberal, more abstract notion of justice that he thinks is absurd, because he he doesn't even want to interrogate a prisoner or anything. He just wants to put them in the machine. And we, we get two basic notions surrounding that, right? Um, his notion of justice comes down to, in some ways, two things, right? Adherence to that, um, those blueprints, right? The lines uh, scrawled over other lines that if you squint your eyes tight enough, you can make out words. And it also comes from his precept, um, which I'd, I'd like to focus on for a moment. Uh, that guilt is not to be doubted. What do you guys think of his idea there? Guilt is not to be doubted. Yeah, I was going to push back on the notion that he was obsessed with um, the old commandant and the machine more so that he was just completely embedded within that mode of thinking. And uh, so I think that, yeah, for him, that sort of notion of justice of Guilt is not to be out. It is sort of um, reassuring uh, maxim that makes him not have to doubt his own devotion to uh, this system. Uh, I kind of took that to a more radical place where I, especially because how it ends, where the officer um, um, most vanishes into the machine. Um, literally vanishes but dies the machine i read it as um i don't i don't really i felt like the officer was not an agent at all it, it seemed like he was a part of the larger machine and he vanishes in the moment machine uh, or the procedure is is rejected so he he, he doesn't exist to that so i i sort of tried as there being a machine that's been running uh, for a while and uh, the officer is sort of part of that machine, uh, not not so. His um, notion of justice, uh, I feel like, is not really his notion of justice, but is coming from the machine of which he is also a part. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That like him and the machine, you know, seem to respond to each other almost psychically at the end. There, right? Yeah. Yeah. That whole scene where he puts that sheet uh, that says "Be just," and uh, it's also interesting how only he seems to be—he seems to understand the blueprints of the machine, uh, while the explorer can't. And 
nobody else can, can really understand the text on the paper that he keeps showing to the explorer. So it seems like he is one with the machine. He can speak to the machine and the machine works perfectly with him in it. It's just... Uh, 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 one more fa- or one more time, really fast. Can anybody hear me? Yes. Welcome. Okay. Cool. Sorry about that. Um. Yeah. So the officer is kind of a piece of a larger machine. Is pretty interesting because um, in the story we kind of see the machine is like literally falling apart with I think with the wrist strap, and he talks about how parts are kind of. Uh, hard to come by these days um and if he himself is seen as a piece of the larger machine then he's also kind of fading and as a as a part as a piece with really no kind of replacement in stock for him the soldier kind of helps him but he also doesn't seem to care i think he actually falls asleep at one point right yeah the soldier is really just in some ways an onlooker just kind of moving with everything, which is kind of interesting because Kafka, uh, or rather the narrator, the narrator talks about the explorer as witnessing what's going on, right? Right, yeah. Um, and also the traveler, uh, the traveler did come um, to observe the execution which also in itself seems to be largely forgotten by the rest of the world. I got the sense that it, um, that the fascination with such executions were like widely popular and then somehow fell out of favor. Um, but also I thought it was interesting that the traveler was invited and like almost accepted the invitation because he felt like he had to rather than genuine interest in the execution. Um, so kind of a weird position for an observer. Uh, and I also thought it was strange, too, how his apparent, like, um, kind of almost disgust for the procedure didn't show up until, I think, pretty close to the end of the story. So for a while, he really was kind of just inhabiting this weird, uh, almost, like, almost kind of statuesque kind of personality where he would kind of look at one thing without much interest and then just kind of listen to the officer blather on about it without really any response. Yeah. Well, go ahead. There was this interesting portion where the explorer sort of, how I keep seeing the explorer is that he, he seems disinterested. He seems indifferent to the, to the consequences of whether the machine stays or does not stay. He seems largely indifferent, but he's somewhat, um, um, disgusted by it, but not passionately enough to want to do something about it. There's this portion where he's reflecting on what he could do or whether he should interfere or not. There is this one portion, I think it's on um, where um, uh, the officer starts to, I'll try to find this particular portion, but he seems to be horrified when the officer almost assumes that the explorer would want to speak in favor of the machine. So when the officer is talking about his strategy uh, in court, and he says that um, I all, the officer almost assumes that the explorer is going to uh, be in favor of, of continuing the machine, I think that portion is a bit interesting to me in terms of how Kafka deliberately writes it in a manner where the assumption is made that the explorer would already like the machine and 
would want to support continuity. Yeah, like the observer is definitely coming off as well. The traveler is coming off as this passive passive observer at first, and we don't hear any of his inner my, uh, dialogue or monologue about <clears throat> what he thinks about this. But I think that's also showing us his own sense of justice, which to me was sounding kind of like this you know, Star Trek Prime Directive sort of non-interference principle. But at the same time, as a witness, right? It's very interesting that the commandant would invite a witness to an execution after a trial with um now the trial is not really a trial, is it? But uh to to play off that question, uh why is it important that the execution would have a witness? Especially because the rest of the colony is sort of uh won't go to it anymore, or at least um doesn't feel like they can go to it anymore, depending on where you read in between the lines. Um, I kind of took uh, the needing of a witness or an observer of the execution to sort of mean that um, the execution seemed way more symbolic than um, like an actual like, fitting punishment. Because uh, even before he's actually strapped down to the machine, the uh, the condemned man, I mean, even before he's strapped down, he's uh, he's got... Uh, I think he's cuffed, right, on his ankles, his wrist, and he's got... Uh, I can't remember if it's a chain or another, like, large cuff around his neck. So even before he's strapped into the machine... Um... He's already kind of, like, dragged around, like, something for show. And also, again, actually, when he's strapped into the machine, he's uh, strapped into the same place as his wrists, his feet, and his neck. Which uh, I hadn't really gotten a chance to expand on that, but I thought that was interesting. So it kind of seems like it's all kind of theatrical rather than, like, a fitting punishment. Another uh, thing about the Operation Machine that was interesting to me is the fact that the um, condemned person has to uh, start laying on their stomach and, and gets flipped around and they're laying down the whole time, tossing or getting turned over as if, I don't know, it reminded me as a sort of uh, allusion to sleep and dreams. Um, I'm not sure what to make of the glass and the ability to see into the apparatus itself. But uh, one reason I could see there being a, ne a need for a witness here is because it seemed to me like uh, the commandant or the new commandant and to some degree the officer uh, needed this traveler and had already thought about what his uh, reactions might be and had taken those into account. And um, he was almost a pawn in this battle between them. I wanted to understand with respect to that the when the title of uh, story when when Kafka saying a penal colony what 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 exactly he mean does he mean colony in in common sense of the word uh, colony? So um, a penal colony is what Australia used to be. It's um, no offense to anyone who's Australian. Uh, a penal colony is where you send prisoners either um, 
in terms of like a sort of servitude or in terms of an exile. And they kind of live out their life within this colony. So you've kind of, um, to, to kind of expand on this, you've almost got a sort of a bifold justice going on, right? You've got the creation of the penal colony for prisoners. Um, and then you've got a notion of justice within that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I actually have. Sorry, go ahead. Um, no, I was just thinking of the machine when I was thinking of the the story. Um, wasn't really thinking of the specific instance of this. Um, the instance of this particular um, crime, so-called crime that the that the uh, soldier seems to have. But I was I was looking at it as a larger metaphor for the idea of justice. So because the soldier seems to be uh, in this position as a result of this absurd rule, where he has to wake up every hour and and, um, and um, salute at a door. And so the the task given to the soldier is as absurd as the the severity of the punishment is. I read the whole of it as a general um, uh, criticism to the rational. Enterprise, rational, moral, legal enterprise um, that Kafka tends to usually critique, um, which is that people within a rational order are expected to do these things that are seemingly absurd, they make these repetitions of um, habits and behaviors um, are seemingly absurd and they're punished if they do not do so. Um, an absurd degree also. And that punishment is carried out such that your body expected to remember it, that the punishment is designed in a way where your body is asked to remember it. It may not, it may not be, it's not something that is told to you coherently, that, that justice is not given to you coherently, but is burnt into your skin. So that's how I was looking at um, the idea of the machine and the punishment. I think attached to that too is the fact that um, I think it takes six hours to kind of inscribe the the uh, the condemned person, and then it takes them I think another six hours to try and figure out what their sentence is. By like, I was kind of confused about that actually. So do they have to figure out? what they did wrong by like somehow figuring out what was carved into them. So that's a great question, right? So the, the, the sentencing works by, right. Nobody knows what they're condemned for, or that is to say, nobody knows what their sentence is, right? So obviously it's a play on the word sentence, you're sentencing and you get a sentence scrolled upon you. Uh, so when they get laid down naked, they have no clue what's going to be inscribed on them. In fact, the, the sense I get from this is they don't even know they're about to have, uh, or at least this prisoner doesn't even understand the machine. Uh, and so six hours is when they have the turning point where there's like this almost transcendent moment where they understand the punishment, or rather they understand the commandment. So what do we make of this idea of justice that um, not only can we not doubt guilt, right, um, whatever that means, but we've also got to keep people in kind of the dark 
of what their sentence is so that they can have this epiphany before they're um before they die and also um six hour the, the it, it's distorted the result is distorted in the case of the uh, officer because the officer after six hours the end of the story the explorer observes that the officer does not seem to have experienced the kind of epiphany that he saw on a previous uh, uh, on on previous prisoners it's interesting i, I couldn't make sense of what the six hours and 12 hours was really about. Any thoughts on the um, the difference between the officer and the others in terms of the epiphany and the lack thereof? I think the officer did get an epiphany. I think there was something very symbolic about that spike going through his head at the end. Uh, what was their epiphany? that uh, he was finally kind of one with this machine that he had been serving. And uh, maybe maybe not, I don't know, epiphany in the sense of like having some sort of new realization so much as just like being fulfilled and finally feeling that. Towards the end, uh, the text in the text, he says, um was as it had been in life, uh, which to which he means the, the face of the corpse of the officer. And then uh, it says, no sign was visible of the promised redemption. What the others had found in the machine, the officer had not found. Lips were firmly pressed together. The eyes were open. The same expression as in life. The look was calm and convinced. The forehead went the point of the great iron spike. There's, there's a promised redemption that happens in the sixth hour that doesn't seem to come. The officer, right. but comes for him, the happen. epiphany was manifested outwards as the spike going through his head and the lack of, yeah, any sort of change of uh, perspective. Well, I guess it's it's kind of interesting because I guess you think about different narratives of justice that usually there's some concept of through the act of punishment whether it's through just a harsh super medieval style or a modern so-called like reformist style, there will be some kind of um, like the scales will be balanced and that either the accused will, you know, pay their portion of flesh for what was done or understand, you know, somehow better the, the, the harm that they caused. But I guess what Jack was kind of asking is interesting because if the accused don't know that, and it says in there specifically, I think you quoted that, that they, they realize what the sentence is or what's happening to them, but not because they can read the inscription, but because they almost just because they're experiencing the ebbs and the flows of the pain of the inscription on their bodies, that it's like it becomes intrinsically knowable to them, if I'm remembering that right. Like they seem to just understand it as an experience of the of the punishment, rather than in in a discursive or you know logical way. So I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud, but it's interesting to think about if the officer, when he tries to go through his experience, realizing that there's nothing else to be done in his mind, that you know he doesn't he doesn't. 
I don't know. He doesn't. He's not able to reach that moment of any kind of uh, catharsis with the machine because his death is almost pointless. So at that point, then, part of the idea is that the machine does work, right? Uh, if anyone's ever read Plato's Gorgias, it's kind of what Alyosha is talking about. That if you want to learn um, justice, right? This is what Plato argues in the dialogue. If you want to learn justice or reconnect with the good, you've got to go through punishment and suffering. But if that's what the machine is designed to do, why doesn't, does it, I suppose I should ask two questions. If that's what the machine is designed to do, to imprint on your body and through that torturing and that suffering, give you the notion of the good that you've um, you've strained from to go back to the commandment from the law. Does it work on these people? And does it work, or why does it not work on the officer? When I look at the structure of how it's narrated, I also suspect a lot of times that it, it was the officer that claims that there was, that, that he observed the sixth hour, that the, the, the prisoners... Uh, Realized what was happening, but I also read it sometimes as a twisted imagination of the officer who was convinced by a certain idea of justice. By the sixth hour, this happens. And what's interesting is he also describes what happens theologically to the person, which is that the person seems to lose hunger, which is specifically of the body, a desire of the body, that the prisoner becomes calm um, and really quiet. So, um, I don't know if it's uh, Kafka uh, talking about the nature of justice uh, and punishment, or if it is the, the twisted notion of justice that the officer holds, which makes him imagine that look, which nobody else saw, because because any anyone the, the explorer was not there um, during the previous executions. He was just there this time, and he did not see um, any epiphany of the face of the officer. Makes we, sense. You're right. We do rely on the officer for that notion. But he also tells us that people come to see this look. Remember, he talks about the, uh, the children, the, the old commandment in his, in his wisdom, let the children go right up to the front and watch the, uh, the, the change in the eyes. So you're right. We have, uh, in some sense, we have to either be skeptical of the officer or take his word for it. But there is a question of reliability. Uh, Rutwish, I think I was interrupting you, so I apologize. Go ahead. Uh, could I jump in with maybe a little bit of a different angle on justice in the officer? Can I just, uh, I just came up with another answer possibly to the question about why he didn't have an epiphany. Do we want to, can I just, uh, go with that first? I don't mind. So I was thinking that, like, I mean, the machine broke down, right? So it didn't ever inscribe the writing on him. So, yeah, he didn't get the whole experience that could have given him the epiphany that other, uh, <laughs> condemned people had. What does it inscribe? was be just i think that was the sentence uh, 
uh, given to the officer giving to himself sheet that he put into the machine said be just right but it didn't actually get inscribed on him i thought double check that you're right the machine um at the end sort of it's sort of like a strange cathartic moment where wheels start falling out of the machine um uh, seems to be working but it seems to also be falling apart at the same time so we've got the cog wheels coming out of the designer the part that carries out the inscribing or that is to say that kind of designs the sentence that's going to be inscribed by the haro. Can you guys hear me? Sorry. Uh, am I audible? Yeah, yeah I can yeah. hear you. Okay, sorry. I, I was just having trouble with my mic again. I think I definitely share the perspective that, uh, you know, this notion of the epiphany at the sixth hour, the radiance uh, that, that sort of flows out of, of the uh of of the guy who's getting in, uh, sort of in the machine i think you you only seem to sort of only hear all of that through the officer right so i mean it's almost like he he's the one who's sort of sadistically enjoying these punishments being carried out and sort of imagining what might or might not uh, be going through uh, these guys who are getting punished but i think what really hit me uh about about the story is is the fact that uh the officer sort of doesn't get the death that that he really deserves right he doesn't get to go through this the sort this sort of uh tragically beautiful punishment that that he idolizes the machine sort of literally breaks down and he gets impaled on these spikes instead of getting the sentence right so for me that that was something that really hit me Well, and again, we want to keep in mind that bef before the new commandant, this is a public affair that everyone accepts and um, celebrates. Yeah, good. Sorry, go ahead. No, keep. I take it. <laughs> but again, you you get that description only through the officer, so that's still his uh, his sort of version of of the events. Right. I mean, if if you want to be skeptical about about his the story that he's telling, uh, the explorer, right? You you just have to take his word for it. I don't think that we get the sense, though. I mean, it is a short story, but I don't think we get this particular sense that he. Well, if two things, I don't think we get any sense that he has any reason to lie, because he strikes me as a true believer of whatever it is that he follows he's he thinks of himself as honorable and really wants to do this thing that is horrifying and i don't think it's a question of personally i didn't see it as we don't know if he's telling the truth or not you could see it's through his lens that he idolizes this whole process but i don't and i also wouldn't even characterize it as a kind of sadism either because he doesn't seem to get a kind of at least the way he explains it it's not even a kind of enjoyment like he and I mentioned this in the chat that in my translation that I read, they put an asterisk when he uses the word script. And, you know, maybe this is the editors inserting this in here, but they noted that, that the word used, I guess, in the original language and, and the kind of meaning kind of hinted at the idea of scripture and the way he treats it. You know, when he points at it, he's very careful not to let the traveler touch it. And he, he 
it's all very reverent. So there's something about the whole experience that he sees as kind of sacrosanct and and holy and needing of preservation. So, so I I don't know if maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know if we'll find answers necessarily in the idea of maybe the officer is an unreliable narrator or person in the story. So we can't know if what he's saying is true. Cause it almost strikes me like the thing I was, it was actually thinking about as you guys were speaking was this question of whether or not you need a witness. And it makes me think of the, the, you know, Foucault's whole thing about this, the spectacle of the scaffold. Uh, what, what would it mean for there to be the scaffold and the execution you know, like the old tree falling in the woods. Like, can you have an execution in the middle of the woods with no one there? Uh, maybe the machine, in a way, could do that without anyone being around. You turn it on and you walk away and it does it. But there seems to be a need that the machine itself is built for a kind of voyeurism. And maybe you're right that maybe there's sadism in the rest of the audience, like the people who come to see it, the other officers, the children. They're probably, you know, affected by this. But at least for the officer, he seems to almost feel like he's the priest. It's like a priestly role. He's like, it's a, it's a very special thing that he sees deep purpose in. And so the bodies are just a means to to like figure out, you know, this inscription or whatever it is. What, what does he do before the machine actually inscribes? What's the, uh, the act that, ha- that needs to precede that? Well, he has to put the the drawing or whatever at the top in the marker or whatever it's called, right? But after, but before he can do that, he's got to do what? Do you guys catch this? He's got to wash his hands. Okay, I noticed that too. There was definitely a weird, like, reoccurring thing about cleanliness. Yeah, it's like ablutions almost or something. What were some of the other examples of that? I didn't pick up on that. Uh, I think the officer uh, washes his hands uh, when he's getting rid of the grease and stuff. Uh, it comes up at another point in the story where he said the machine's only fault is that it gets so dirty during the process. Um, even though the machine is like literally falling apart, he still thinks its only fault is it gets dirty and then i think at another point um someone tries to wash their clothes in the bucket of water but the water's dirty and so they don't let me see if i can find any more good i know the portion it says the soldier kept pushing him away since the rice pap was certainly meant for so yeah he um I think the soldier washes his, his dirty clothes in, in the bucket and then the officer goes to wash his hands, uh, finds the bucket dirty. Um, what's interesting that I definitely don't see um, any sadism on the part of the officer. He's almost innocent uh, through the story. I feel, um, I continuously feel um, this strong, um, I feel like the, the officer is a really innocent person. Um, plays judge and a lot of times he makes claim that his position as a judge is under question now his function as a judge is under question but what uh, what was interesting to me is that uh, that the fact that that his last um sentence was uh be just and i feel like the epiphany did not him because um it's, it's because the idea of justice in the whole story is is 
is is elusive that that nobody can see nobody seems to make sense of what is justice in this case there is there is the old commandant was was uh, both um, the the um, the judge the executioner um uh, for, for for these cases and now the officer is the judge the executioner but the idea of justice itself doesn't appear clearly to any of these uh, people to the officer um, when he's the sentence is to be just and uh, nothing happens he doesn't he, he doesn't realize um being just really is and he just dies without meaning so he's definitely not a sadist um even an agent it seems like he's a part of a justice system that is largely incoherent to everyone including judge itself yeah i wanted to try to pick up on the fact that it was this um sentence of be just that caused the machine to fail and the fact that the machine seemed to be kind of alive and maybe conscious that maybe the officer didn't have the epiphany but the machine did and that it decided to kind of break down and accept its fate that this new commandant was going to uh you know eventually get rid of it do you remember what's different about his execution though he can't wash his hands I'm trying to find that portion. There was something I asked earlier in the chat as well. I don't know if this changes things, and I might be thinking of this wrong, but wasn't there a key part where he's he has his foot against the lever, and he's supposed to kind of, like, get this thing going, but then the soldier comes up and starts trying to fix his hands, and he's his leg back from the lever. I don't know if I misread that part, but it almost sounded like he was he was going to do something and then, like, chose not to do it, which, if I... I'm right, then I almost read that as like he almost let the, or allowed the machine to fall apart because it wasn't like put into motion properly. If not, then that's obviously that could be totally off base. But I don't quite remember that part, but I do remember him being unable to wash his hands. He has to settle for washing them in sand. Yep, Todd's right. Or he's got the um abortion yeah i mean maybe i think what you were picking up on is that there's a little you know very seemingly tiny impurity being entered into the system with the the dirty uh did he actually put his hands in the dirty water that the condemned man's clothes had been in or not i don't recall but yeah certainly trying to wash them in the sand would put little particles of impurity in there and uh who knows what the consequences that could be given how delicate the whole thing seemed to be all along. But this this portion is kind of what I was saying. This actually seems really crucial because he says he'd already stuck out his foot to kick the crank designed to set the inscriber in motion. Then he saw the two men coming, so he pulled his foot back and let himself be strapped in. But now he could no longer reach the crank. Neither the soldier nor the condemned man would find it, and the traveler did was determined not to touch it, but that was unnecessary. Hardly were the straps attached when the machine already started working. So so, so it's like there was some key component to the in, in beginning the machine to get it working that isn't started, and then the machine just starts working anyway, but on, on in like an incorrect way, it seems to me. Well, remember, the machine can now operate by itself for 12 hours. This is a subtle point that Kafka kind of plays with, right, is the autonomy of the machine. 
you've got to begun, begin to wonder how much the officers even needed anymore during those 12 hours. But let me go back to that point. Does everyone understand the, um, the, re the, the illusion of the washing of hands? Do we all know where that's from? That's the Bible, right? Yep, right. Do you remember the, the scene? No. So, I go on. found this one scene where um, it says, uh, the soldier kept pushing him away since the rice pap was certainly meant for a later hour. It was just as unfitting that the soldier himself should thrust his dirty hands into the basin, eat out of it before the others even face. This is just the scene where the, the soldier and the and the um, prisoner are fighting over um, food basin. Is again the analogy of the dirty hands. Yeah, oddly enough, though, at one point, both the condemned man and the uh, the soldier are eating the rice patties together. So they have this very weird, almost friendship at one point. But um. Let me go back to that hand washing. So, in the story with Pontius Pilate, after he condemns Jesus to be crucified, he washes his hands. That is to say, he washes his hands of the responsibility. Um, if I remember correctly, he says that it's the, you know, the people have willed it or the, the Jews have willed it. I can't quite remember who he puts the blame on. But let me connect that with the story now. So after, after the, uh, the officer sets up the machine to do the inscribing, he washes his hands. Consider that he is also the judge. Does it, have you ever seen a judge carry out their sentence? Ned Stark in the first episode of Game of Thrones? <laughs> Other than that, no. Yeah, I mean, so where are you going with it? I have. You've seen a, a judge carry out the sentence they've given? Oh, you mean carry out as in apply the punishment that they've prescribed? That's exactly what I mean. Yeah, no. Has, has anyone ever seen that happen? The judge do the, the dirty work, if you will. I can't remember a specific instance. Come on, Socrates. Where are you going? Tell us. So imagine for a moment, what if a judge were to carry out the sentence they had to give? We don't see this, right? We, we, we go to the court. We witness the trial. The judge gives the sentence, and then what happens? The condemned is let out of court. To his to his fate, and that's the end of the story. We never see him again, do we? Even in this story, could we not? I mean, could I could see uh, the judge as not actually carrying out the sentence, right? The machine seems to be effective in itself, uh, and is carrying out the sentence on behalf of the judge. Uh, this portion where he's talking about how it used to be in the older days it says. Um, uh, and then the execution began. Um, many did not care to watch it, but lay with closed eyes in the sand. They all knew this is being done. Um, 
Yeah, that's exactly what I'm getting toward. The machine does the punishing, right? Not the, not the judge. So, uh, Noon Manifest gave us the, the quote, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, this is in reference to the crowd and him trying to argue uh, not to go to the crucifixion. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. He does not carry out the punishment. He allows it to be carried out. Well, what do people think about that? Is there much of a difference between actually carrying something out or simply standing by and watching something be carried out? I mean, I don't think there's an easy, there's no easy answer to that question, I don't think, but it's, yeah, a very relevant question to ask and to think about. I think uh, some people would argue no and some people would argue yes. Well, Kafta gives us both, right? People have watched this, and now we're at a point in time where people don't watch it. But nonetheless, it occurs. It's interesting, too, because he kind of says, and the officer explains, that he believes lots of people agree with him, but they don't admit it. So there's kind of this thing of, you know, he and he points to the traveler saying, oh, you're probably from this enlightened European culture. You probably don't believe in the death penalty. But the officer's kind of throwing some light shade on that when he's, he seems to be implying that people haven't necessarily actually changed their ideas or opinions about this voyeuristic act, but there's just a new state of affairs that has kind of forced them to act differently. And so he's the lone remaining sentinel trying to protect the honor of this thing or whatever. Yeah, I forgot that line about, uh, yeah, I forgot that line that you just mentioned about um, him saying that he thought there were people, uh, you know, who did support this going on still, but uh, I then remember that, you know, they end where you see the um, gravestone of the old commandant, and it's almost like this, you know, uh, messianic cult has uh, sprung up around him. So, um, and yeah, that ties back into the biblical allusions too. So I, uh, I don't know, not sure what to make of that. Just wanted to bring that up also. So let's play a little connecting here, right? We've talked about the machine and it's gaining a sense of autonomy autonomy progressively kind of like an obedience we've talked about the judge washing his hands after carrying out the sentence if we start connecting these things and we think about um, what this means in terms of justice so right kafka is giving us an autonomous machine in a sense or to say it a little bit differently the whole ritual of it can be carried out rather autonomously. That is to say, the law kind of supersedes everything, right? Or it's thought to be everywhere, right? We're always subject to the law. What do we make of that? Uh, just something really quick. Doesn't the officer mention at the very beginning that there's always the chance of um, the apparatus failing, but then I think the officer says that. But if those if those come up, we'll handle them like really quickly. So I don't know. 
And especially because the machine seems to be, like, falling apart. Is it really autonomous? I think at one point it probably certainly was when the officer had access to the new parts and all that and kept things really nice, uh, as nice as a machine like that could be. Um, so I don't know if it's really autonomous anymore, um, at least in doing the 12-hour punishment rather than the one that happens, you know, pretty quickly. Yeah, it almost seems like a mechanical Turk, you know, one of those devices that really needs a lot of care and maintenance and needs to be cranked and fed inputs. And it has a form of autonomous behavior, but at least I was saying in the chat that I feel like the officer's relationship, whereas on the one hand, you would think the machine carries out a sentence and it's an impersonal way of uh, ab abnegating responsibility from the law. I, this machine kind of feels deeply personal or intimate in some way, even if that's just the officer's relationship with it. So it, it's, yeah, the, the judge is carrying out the sentence and also the machine of the application of the law, the processes of the law are also uh, uh, intimately connected with that person rather than an impersonal thing that is just applied. Yeah, right. I didn't see the autonomy as occurring until the very end when, uh, you know, after the officer failed to kick the uh, crank or whatever. And, you know, when the it, it opens up its own chest on the inscriber and the gears start kind of floating out and spilling out as if it's, you know, revealing its truth in some way, uh, you know, being spoken out. And um, I think it's interesting to me to think about, like, whether was the machine coming, coming to autonomy in the sense of conceiving of its own uh, notion of justice or was it, uh, you know, living this notion of justice that it had been built and uh, designed to bring into the world? Um, to kind of expand on that maybe a little bit, uh, I think I mentioned earlier that the officer is sort of similar. Really, I... I've kind of solidified this, I think, in my mind that I think the officer is sort of supposed to be, I view the officer as um, an additional, like, part uh, of the machine. And so if in viewing the officer as like, uh, like a human, as an, e uh, an essential element of uh, the machine then I guess it could be considered like autonomous and self-sustaining. Um, but I don't really know where to go from that. Um, because without the human element, the machine would probably just sit there. Like the machine can't strap, can't like sentence a person and then like chain them up and drag them around and then strap them down. Uh, you know, it, another party is required for that. You're right, it's got to have people doing something. So let me try this. If the machine still requires people to kind of give it um, victims, but the machine does operate autonomously, so we've got that happening. To some degree, there's an autonomy. It has to be kicked off. Uh, let's contrast that now with the law, which is the judge's responsibility. Does the law have an autonomy? 
Are you asking about the law within the story or like a broader notion of law? Uh, however you like. We, we are interpreting the text, so, you know, uh, we do want to keep it tied to the text. But So maybe we should begin then. How does the law in, in the story work? Uh, on, so on, on the question of uh, justice and morality and law, uh, more generally in the text, I, I felt uh, this tension. So right off the bat, he introduces uh, this colony as something that is far removed from from uh, normal life, you know, as it were. It's one, it's a penal colony. Second, it, it seems to be at a place that's at far removed from where the explorer is, right, from somewhere in Europe. So it starts off with with the, whatever is happening here, whatever the machinery of justice and of law that works on this colony is something that's radically different from our world or from the normal world. But I think as we work our way towards the end of the story, it feels like it's not that uh, distant from, from uh, you know, our our society, uh, ultimately, that you can see something like uh, guilt is not supposed to be doubted, functioning in in sort of our conception of, of law and justice, even today. Thinking of law in terms of language or logos, uh... I, I usually find it really fascinating in Kafka because his treatment of language is always really interesting. He does that in Metamorphosis. And then uh, there's always this ambiguity. Like in the trial, I, I was thinking about the trial. I haven't yet finished the whole novel, but there is this uh, uh, the, the, there is bureaucracy and uh, the people who come to arrest the protagonist don't seem to know why they've arrested the protagonist. The protagonist can't seem to figure out why he has been placed under house arrest. Uh, and in this story also, when I think of language, I see that um, two, uh, the, the soldier and the prisoner uh, seem to not understand word of French, which is the language in which the officer is talking to the explorer. Uh, the explorer doesn't seem to understand the language on the scripts that the officer is showing to uh, 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 the, the explorer. And he keeps saying that if you look at it really closely, you'll understand the officer seems to not understand anything of the script at all. He keeps saying that there are too many lines going everywhere. And I'm thinking of law as logos or language or a certain kind of language of law that's um, it's always um, it's always elusive to the common public. That is always, can't seem to make sense of how bureaucracy functions when I enter the system. I can't seem to, why are things happening the way they are? And similarly, nobody else in the scene except for officer who seems to be a part of the machine nobody else seems to understand what the machine is which i'm reading the 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 logos or the or the legal machine or um or a machine by which justice is understood and spelled out for the ordinary people yeah yeah what you were just saying was making me think of like yeah, the way the law or the development functions is a sort of game of uh, like whack-a-mole where these new special cases come up and, and someone has to try to describe, uh, decide how to, um, you know, prescribe how to interpret that. And, and uh, there's this yeah, interplay between 
what has happened and what has been determined as just and and what the precedent is and and what is new and how to fit that into things and not uh you know have contradictions or to try to resolve those in some way In response to the law and logic, I think you're zeroing in on what I'm getting at. So law is thought to bind us at all times, right? We're all subject to the law. Chains communicating with chains, I think, is one of the nicest metaphors that Kafka gives us in the very beginning. Uh, yet nobody knows the law or interprets it but the judge. The very person who washes his hands when carrying out the law or giving the sentence. Uh, um, it also reminded me of um, Nietzsche on punishment. I think he does that in genealogy, where um questions the grounds of, uh, on which uh, punishment is, is given to... Uh, so, I mean, it's, the, it's like I'm thinking about the judge washing their hands off... Um, um, the, the very act of execution. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's it's just in the story. I feel uh, as a reader, I feel um, disturbed at how much how much pleasure is taken uh, by the officer in the gruesome act uh, that is carried out. This long, prolonged, slow process of torture that is carried out, and he innocently enjoys it and finds it really, really beautiful. Which uh, I, I thought of in terms of how Nietzsche talks about punishment, which is considered um, a, a necessity to society. It's it's we've almost assumed that punishment is a necessary aspect of maintaining justice, and then sort of goes on to question it genealogically and, and says that punishment is is almost a trivial, worded um, pleasure of some sort, and it has nothing to do with justice at all. But the punishment in that is for their own good, right? That's the idea. And I gave the example of Gorgias, but we also saw with Alyosha's um, stories that this is an old idea. That um, the, to be to suffer through this is to be um, is to go through justice and reconnect with the good. But perhaps Kafka is not too convinced by that idea. So. If this is how we have our system, right, um, and we've got the law binding us at all times, even though none of us seem to really know the law, and the judge washes their hands of the law, or at least of the sentencing, uh, what do we make then of the law itself? Or perhaps the easier question is, where do we find the law? Where is it in the story? Uh, I'll say quickly that I think instead of the law, um, I think it's a law in that different characters in the story are subject to a, uh, like a set of laws that are individual to them, but are also um, perhaps malleable. Uh, like, for example, 
I also mentioned this earlier, I think the the condemned man is sentenced to execution for falling asleep on the on his on the job. But then the soldier who guards the condemned man falls asleep but is not sentenced to the same punishment. So I so it's um so the condemned man seems to be subject to a different law than the soldier and what law that is seems to be decided by well for example the officer i guess or uh the soldier's you know superior so i think the law is within the story is certainly malleable and uh, rather than one unifying law, I think there are different sets of laws um, that are applied to different characters and which are also even created and destroyed by the decisions of, like, authority figures. But maybe that is – I wonder if that's what Jack's getting at as well because the only commonality between those things is the kind of – is supposed to be the self-evident right of authority to determine sentence and to determine what is right and what is wrong in any given context. And I hate to be morbid about this, but it just makes me think about the like essential lynching murder of the – what's the – Ahmed Abri? I can't remember his last name, the, the black man who was killed by the, the two – basically vigilante white guys uh, in America, where if, when you read about the, the reasoning, when they defend themselves and their supporters defend themselves, they repeatedly, there's this line they keep saying, which is so disturbing, where they say, uh, you know, he wasn't following simple commands. Like, why he wouldn't have died if he didn't follow simple commands? And it kind of begs this question of like, you know, I guess in this framework, in this kind of white supremacist framework, there's some idea of like, why would you not follow commands? There's a, a voice has spoken to you and the kind of subject that you are, you have to listen to those commands. There's no question of like, why would you listen to someone who's like leaning out of their car in the middle of the night trying to harass you? It's no, this a, a certain kind of voice that has the authority of, you know, giving judgment has spoken and you not listening to its commands already prefigures you as guilty, uh, which is really disturbing you know question of obedience which at that point it doesn't matter what you did as well which all happens in all kinds of police killings and vigilante killings of people of color as well where they all there's always this narrative of like well it doesn't even if they didn't do anything wrong it was the fact that they weren't they did they disobeyed that is the evidence of their that they did they didn't consent to die or didn't consent to submit in the way that they should let me open up that just a little bit so if the law is supposed to bind us at all times and we're participating in, in our society and we're doing our thing how present is the law right so you gave the idea of the policeman and that uh, and they're supposed to enforce the law, uh, yet it's not really quite that simple, is it? You, you mentioned um, people have to decide what's right or wrong, right? Does the law decide that for us, or do we decide that? If, if so, what does that mean, for example, is like the penal colony 
or in your example of, um, I will butcher his name as well, Mr. Arbery. I would say that we like to have this idea that we decide, but really we are always, uh, you know, abdicating this decision to uh, some interpreters of the law, the judges, right? So um, there's always this kind of displacement of the law, I would say. Noon manifest you're close. The basic principle I use for my decisions is this guilt is always beyond a doubt. But in the story, where do we find the law? Is it not in the schematics where it's written, be just, honor thy superiors? I mean, are you saying, like, is it in language, for example, or you're looking for something else? I think to answer that question, I would say, no, it's not in the diagrams, and it what the diagrams do is they try right it's getting displaced from the diagrams to the actualization of the punishment by the machine but then that ends up failing too at the end it's the it is the diagrams though right in the so the the diagrams are described as these lines um, of what I imagine to be text going back and forth, crisscrossing each other, which nobody can read, at least nobody in the story. But if you remember, before he um, condemns himself, before the officer sentences himself, something I don't think I've ever seen a judge do either, he pulls out the diagram and says, do you see what's written right there? Read it. And of course, the explorer can't because he can't read the diagram. And he gets pressed, still can't read it. The officer says, it is written plain. Uh, I believe he says it's written clearly, be just, which is what he intends to have inscribed on him. So if we're looking for the law in the story, right, if law is the set of books that we have to reference and thereby interpret, or at least allow ourselves to be interpreted through, it's in these diagrams, right? Uh, are we... Sorry, I'm a little bit confused by what you're asking. Um, could you say that again? I like the way Alyosha said it. Um, so if the law is this set of diagrams and all these different lines going back and forth over one another, if that's what we're bound to and we can't even read or access it, what does that mean for our relationship with the law? I guess it's also interesting because especially when you're told to read it as if it's clear and it's supposed to be clear, like, why can't you read this? You should be able to understand this. This is what the law is. But, it, you know, to the traveler, it's just a bunch of lines and diagrams and he, he can't interpret it. So when you look at the, the people in the penal colony, the soldier and the prisoner, they almost seem like these comical clown-like entities, right? There's, there's almost humor in you know, reading it. They're doing these funny, strange things. Um, the soldier is not acting like a soldier. The prisoner is not acting like a prisoner. Fighting over food. It's like this. It's, it's really humorous uh, what's happening there. And they don't seem to be coherent of the law. Nor do they seem to care about what... Um, 
uh, what what or where the law is um i i, I found that interesting because um and and almost nobody um, is really looking for a law i feel like uh, there's punishment in the story and and that punishment is um elaborated there's a lot of work that goes into elaborating punishment but there's there's no law as such that nobody can no nobody wants to or seems to be able to access what law is uh, there's punishment that's, that's very explicit and elaborated the machine i think this inability by um the characters other than the officer to kind of i guess understand the law um, as it's written on the diagrams is probably by design um because in the story at one point uh i think it was the narrator says that the officer like wouldn't even let like trained mechanics like he was the only person allowed to work on the machine and he was thus the only person who understood how the machine work worked um, and was also the only person able to read the diagrams, which I thought was interesting, which kind of turns circular. Uh, did I say that it shifts the blame kind of on to... This, this might go back to the hand-washing thing. Does this shift the blame onto the, I guess, the condemned person? Um, it's like, well, you didn't understand the law, but they also never really, like, how are they supposed to know the law if they can't, like, read, I guess, the diagram? Maybe not the actual literal diagram, but uh, you understand what I'm saying? I think I do. I was just asking in the chat as well if it's an interesting to think about that the only people who, the, the dialogue is entirely between the officer and the traveler. And the people who are the most directly, like, their bodies would be inscribed by this law, usually. The condemned man, who used to be a soldier, and the other soldier, who obviously could any at any point, as a resident of the penal colony and its arbitrary rules, become a condemned man. They have no idea what's going on. They have no access to this thing. And the only people who can engage with the law on this kind of intellectual level, if you can even call it that, or, or any level that isn't where it directly is harming or inscribing them is people like the traveler who are outsiders or, it, you know, they, I was thinking to myself, well, how did they not know what was going on? Because there were huge spectacles, hundreds of people supposedly came, but all those people, the way he describes them, it does sound like they're, they're not the prisoners, but family or relatives. They're not other people who work really at the colony. It's the commandant, the officer and a bunch of other outsiders. So I wonder if there's an interesting tension there as well. We've also moved away from the days where this was a, a public celebration. All of remember, we have the old commandant saying, uh, the, 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 I believe the, the phrase from Kafka through the officers that the old, com, com, uh, the old commandant and his wisdom allowed the children to be right up front so as to witness the turning point. So we have crowds of people trying to see this event, celebrating it, and we have the children right up front looking into the eyes of the condemned person. In the story, when I was making, I was making a post-colonial reading of some sort of the text, and um, it, there's this portion where the officer is trying to convince the explorer to uh, court him, some sort of a court, um, 
he he most assumes that the uh, explorer would be in support of the machine and here uh, he says a, a famous western investigator sent out to study criminal procedure um, in all the countries of the world has just said that our old tradition of administering justice is vain and then later he says uh, on the contrary your profound experience leads you to believe uh, they are most in most humane and most in consonance with human dignity and you admire the machine greatly uh, i was just thinking about uh, the general shift from uh, public ed- executions to um, Uh, to this new enlightened notion of justice where uh, executions or the murder actually happens out of sight of the public um and so i was just i'm curious about this kind of a reading where um it used to be a spectacle there used to be people watching there used to be children who used to be able to watch um the execution but then post enlightenment we moved to this um this idea that that it's it's too gruesome for society to do but a uh, western investigator is almost expected to uh, admire the machine greatly by the officers still the visibility of the of the gruesome punishment and the implication is that there are people in the colony who want to come back and watch it it's 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 that the new commandant and his ladies start to kind of um deprecate on it right that's what starts to bring people out of there i'm also curious about the mention of women and sorry yeah just the mention of women again and again i was wondering what that's about i noticed that too but i was also I was also confused about it. Do you think it's implying a kind of you know evoking that idea of like libertine hedonism the kind of of like oh this is the that's like I I do feel that's like a kind of old school you know conservative critique often of any kind of idea of change you know like all oh, these bohemians like they they don't actually care about the law they just care about the ladies and the sex and the intrigue you know we're we're dealing with serious things here that's kind of what i was getting from it okay oh go ahead just uh, he's also he seems to be making women active agents of the perception around um, this machine changing right he says that it it would happen to the explorer also that the woman women would whisper in his ears or shut his mouth quite literally with their fingers uh, and and that's what's happening to the new commandant apparently it's also he seems to be giving i mean the story seems to be giving women some sort of an agency in how uh, the machine is being rejected but i don't really know what to make of it let's play with this a little bit So we we've talked about obedience, we've talked about the law, and we've kind of played with the idea of autonomy and how omnipresent the law is. We've played with the idea of it being interpreted. Hang on one second. Sorry, phone call. So we've played with all these ideas. 
I think what we're starting to get toward now is we're talking about the law in a more general sense, and we're talking about how people relate to it. The explorer has moral qualms with the law, right? The way things are structured in this society. Let me ask you guys something. Um, what do you make of his questioning of it? And what do you what do you see happening here in terms of um, what he's questioning and in terms of the, the laws we're seeing it carried out and uh, established through this machine? I would love, I would lo absolutely love, love a post-colonial reading of it. So in the beginning of the story, uh, mentions the uniform and says it reminds him, the, the officer mentions the uniform and he says these uniforms are too heavy for the tropics. They mean home to us. We don't want to forget about home. Now just have a look at this machine. That's the beginning where I saw some sort of a hint to, um, uh, to being away from, from to, to being in a place that's that's in the tropics, that's not, um, and then the, uh, the the assertion of the fact that there is a Western explorer coming to part, there is a certain indifference that the explorer shows, but but the explorer is given authority without asking for it, uh, and the explorer is almost surprised by the authority he's given in that particular uh, colony, uh, that his word is more valuable than he himself thinks it is. And then the end of the story is interesting when the two, the, when the prisoner and the soldier try to jump into the boat and the explorer says, I don't know, a rope or a stick, make sure, like the explorer just leaves the scene immediately after the execution. He goes to the, the tea place, he sees the cave and then he just goes to the, and gets in a boat and uh, he does not want the prisoner and the soldier to get into the boat with him. He's almost like, He's he's continuously indifferent. He's not actively disgusted by it, but he he's willing to use his position of power to uh, to to um to, to do something. But um, not he's not passionately uh, inclined to do anything out to go out of the way to do it. I think I like uh, you brought up him getting on the boat and not letting the uh, soldier and prisoner get on it with him. I think there's some aspect of him kind of judging this whole situation and trying to wash his hands of it at the end and just, you know, put it behind him. Right. He can afford to move on and forget it pretty much like everyone else. It's interesting because it almost feels like you kind of, he's this witness to this whole scenario. He's trying to be a disinterested party and almost in a, I don't know, like Levinasian way, he's being pulled into the encounter and he can't look away at the face of this other and this thing that's happening in front of him. And but, so he's struggling with this and, and struggling with himself because he's almost kind of selfish because he it says in the narration, his own narration, that he doesn't really, it's not that he cares about the condemned man, it's just the ritual itself seems cruel. And then to abandon it, everything at the end, it seems like the soldier and the condemned man, after everything that happens and the graves that they go to and everything, they kind of must seem to realize that, that something is amiss or that this situation isn't ideal or right, you know, and they want to escape it. And he 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 actually makes a, a a decision, which is another ethical act. But he must. I would see it almost like he sees it as, again, abnegating any responsibility towards the situation by removing the rope or the anchor, whatever it is, so that they can't, 
you know, reach the shore, uh, reach the boat and escape as well. So it's a kind of like a, I don't know, an interesting <laughs> a mealy mouth centrism in a way. Yeah, he seems to, uh, I don't know if the Traveler is actually ever referenced as a male, but uh, the Traveler um, kind of, in a way, does the same thing that the officer was doing earlier. Yeah, uh, when the Traveler leaves, he kind of like, the Traveler kind of uh, washes their hands, so to speak, and is just like, this is not my problem, and this is not my my place um and the laws you know clearly don't apply to the traveler so he kind of yeah it is sort of like this weird centrism be careful though kafka leaves it very ambivalent we have no dialogue no words exchanged after that grave is viewed it's very very interesting how he wraps it up especially in light of what's going on. But be before we move there, so um, let me ask you something, because uh, we, we're talking about him not laying them on the, the boat. If he hasn't broken a law, has he done anything wrong? Uh, I think that depends on... Uh, I... Uh... This this is kind of unfamiliar territory for me, but maybe someone else can pick up on this. I think that maybe depends on your views on, I guess, morals or like ethics if you use them interchangeably. I think it kind of depends on your views um, of those things because uh, mm, yeah, someone else maybe can pick up on that. Uh, but I know about the existence of, like, moral nihilists and that sort of thing. So I maybe maybe they would say no, but yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure. I, I feel like in the duration of the story, there's something about the explorer that changes. So initially, he's thinking that, you know, this, this machine, this entire process is really unjust. And he even says, there's no way I can speak for this, but uh, I'll, I'll, I won't speak against it either. But what's really interesting is that towards the end, how he's the only one who's trying to help the officer uh, sort of enter the machine and, uh, you know, get the machine going. He he actually forces the soldier and the uh, condemned man to aid aid him sort of put the officer in and, and start the machine. So I think there's some transformation that's happened. I wonder if that has anything to do with the Traveler, because at first, uh, the Traveler was really, like, um, not interested at all in the apparatus. Um, but then, I think the Traveler becomes impressed by the wool on, like, the bed. Some, he's like, oh, yes, it's, like, very, it was, like, the wool was specially designed for this machine, and for some reason that impresses the traveler. So I think that maybe is the start of the, like, change. What do you all think? Where he starts to seem interested is, um, 
when he starts talking about the the punishing in that, or more so the specifics of how the machine will do its work. In fact, I believe it's at the word haro, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, or hero, however it goes. It's at that mention that the explorer all of a sudden starts to become interested, starting to actually speak in the... Uh, in this, it's really not a dialogue in some sense until he starts to speak. But it seems to me that it's something out of the conscience that gets him to start talking about this. But is it the conscience, or does he find himself trapped within the confines of the law of that country? I'm not sure. The Traveler seems to have certainly a higher degree of... Uh, autonomy and compared compared to the other characters because the officer even like makes a note uh, I think the officer knows that he can't really control what the traveler says about the apparatus and about the process uh, so that gave me the impression that the traveler maybe also the traveler was invited by the commandant like uh which seems it sounded like a big deal to me um so i i think the traveler maybe is less restricted by the laws applicable to the other people on the colony did anyone else think that he was going to be the one killed before the officer stepped in yes i did I did yeah, I did too. Yeah, I mean, so there's there's something going on with the uh, traveler battling his internal law of whether he should intervene or not, and you know, wanting to perhaps intervene, but he didn't explicitly talk about this, but implicitly, you know, what the consequences of that might be uh, for him. Uh, outside of uh, this penal colony. Um, so yeah, that was one place I thought the story might be going was that he was going to intervene and then, uh, you know, do this despite the fact that it might lead to the officer putting him in the machine instead. But that wasn't what happened. I wonder if I can give a, a brief hot take here. Because um, we were just, someone had mentioned like post-colonial angles and whatnot. And uh, there was an essay that affected me a lot uh, throughout when I was younger um, that I would definitely say is not as sophisticated as Kafka by any means, but it's George Orwell's essay. Uh, I think it's just called An Execution, which I believe was when he was a policeman in colonial Burma or India possibly. And I wonder if just arbitrarily, if we think of these pieces as almost like inversions of each other, because in the the whole narrative of an execution for George Orwell was that he was helping, you know, bring this man to the scaffold essentially or where he was going to be shot. And he was just kind of going along with the process and, you know, going about his day and not really thinking about it, what the meaning of the event was. And as they're approaching the execution point, the prisoner sidesteps a puddle and keeps walking and that moment really like disturbs and may, you know, it affects Orwell because he starts to think you know why what is this random act of self-preservation that this person is doing when they know they're about to be executed like why do they care if they 
their feet get wet or it just it just it humanizes it's a very humanist kind of narrative and it's the beginning of orwell's journey into realizing that the whole colonial apparatus is wrong and unjust and all this stuff and i wonder if in a way you know completely arbitrarily here but i wonder if we could look at this on in the penal colony almost as the reverse in the sense that the person the visitor comes they see intimately many things that bother them from the get-go about this whole experience and procedure but rather than it being moment of kind of moving beyond it or our larger critique or anything like that or humanism it, ultimately the traveler gets implicated in the machine itself right if what we're saying is because i hadn't clocked that at the end there i forgot that the, the traveler kind of ends up assisting almost in a way in the suicide murder or whatever of the officer he is not able to even like you know intellectually escape from the what the, the force of the law in a sense in this story um you know i don't think these are perfect inversions really but just if i'm, I'm looking at it that way you know he, he doesn't even care what like we said about the condemned as a person and it well there wasn't a humanizing moment where he thinks oh well this person has a whole life and what a shame for it to be snuffed out particularly it, it's sort of like he gets slowly drawn into the maw of this thing and his escape from the island is maybe desperate because he seems like in a rush to leave, you know? Yeah, I think there's definitely something to that, like that quote that I uh, pulled in earlier, that the thing that gets him interested in the apparatus is the cotton wool, this like, you know, perhaps fine sort of fabric that he wouldn't have expected to see uh, here in the penal colony. That's what interests him. I think that's telling. I like where you guys are heading. I really like the parallel with Orwell. So part of what we we're seeing here is the the man, the explorer is sort of concerned, right? Does he have the right to intervene, even as a guest? He talks about at one cent in one breath. Uh, he says, you know, this is a penal colony and it's got to do its own thing, and punishment has to be preserved, right? So he gives this like. I would like to suggest that he actually places himself within the confines of their law to a degree. And I think that's what Alyosha is starting to get at. <clears throat> when he goes to participate with that that structure, or excuse me, that machine, and um, when, he's in, when he's engaging with all these things, it becomes very difficult to tell if he's still outside of the law, if he's within it. But his relationship with it seems still pretty direct. So if he's doing this out of conscience or not, these these lines get blurred quite significantly. There becomes this ambivalence between um, not so much law and order, but law and morality, between judgment and conscience, especially when we have a machine designed to produce justice or a realization of justice within the person's um, sentencing. But I'd like to focus on that a little bit more, especially as we're start, starting to talk about humanization and questionings of justice. Yeah. Where, I mean, where do I we think, see that? Go ahead. I think an interesting thing to bring up is that, like, the reason you bring up uh, post-colonialism is that in the story, the traveler or the officer implies that the traveler thinks that, like, they're just an alien culture that he's trying to understand, but he can't bring himself to 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 believe that the machine is just. But But... Um, but it is a penal colony, right? So I think the the implication is that it's a penal colony 
designed by the, the the society that the traveler comes from right so i think the like the way i read it is that like the traveler is an alien to his own justice system you know like it's not simply that he's going to a different culture and viewing every crazy stuff that they do i think it's a penal colony from his own culture that he doesn't know anything about It's another point of ambivalence in the story, right? They just both so they both so happen to be able to speak French, but not everybody there speaks French. So it really blurs the lines, right? Even when um, the the officer says, "Well, you have this European culture about you, uh, but we are a bit different," right? There's this interesting interplay of culture and justice. But let me ask a very direct question. Where do we find justice? Is it in the law, or is it more of an ethical thing? So in the story, in the story, there's a literal sense in which we find justice within the law, right? One of the laws is be just. Um, but does that mean that those words are actually describing justice as you know we would want to understand it? It's hard to tell, right? It's in this complicated diagram that seemingly nobody can really decipher right does the officer really understand it or can he just translate it for the machine um so i would say that yeah justice in general has a sort of higher ethical uh principle nature to it okay does anybody have any thoughts on that Could you say that bit again? Sorry, I missed that. Does anybody have any thoughts on what Doug just shared with us? That's what I meant, what Doug just shared. I was saying that um, I think that in general, justice is the sort of higher ethical principle that we kind of conceive as being behind the law and, and inspiring what the laws are. But here in the story, we see that justice is in the law literally in the sense be just is one of the laws but then that brings up the question between the law and the principle of justice uh, that inspired the law and um we don't really know if they are connected right all we've got is this diagram that only the officer can decipher we don't know if he really understands it in a sense of principles he can only translate into how to uh, instruct the machine to perform its duties. Thanks for that. I suppose it's a tautology as well, right? If if the law and justice is telling you be just, it's sort of uh, you know it's it doesn't tell you what that means. It's it's telling it's like an affective prescription: be a certain way. You know. And, and I think the question that this story is trying to get us to ask is does that work? I was asking this earlier as well. I don't know if Jack can help us answer it, but it, it made me think of uh, Craig's discussions in our Deleuze chats about the role of the judge and how, you know, for some people it might be seen as this separation of powers and the judge does his, his role and then everything else happens afterwards. But Craig was kind of discussing 
discussing, you know, the ideas, kind of connecting it to Deleuze and Desiring Machines, that the, the act of elocution or the, act, the statement or the pronouncement, pronouncing of a sentence by a judge isn't like an abstract discursive act, but it actually is, a, is another way of directly manifesting the, the effects of Desiring Machines in the world. So I wonder if, without getting too abstract with it, could we read that in the story of like, there is in with the judge being both the the, the one pronounces the sentence and then carries out the sentence and then on themselves as well that there is no separation between the act of pronouncement as like a linguistic thing in some abstract system of indexes or whatever and the actual you know inscription the material effects in the world if that makes sense just quickly insert something that someone had brought up earlier, um, which is the statement that says guilt is never to be doubted. Uh, context of, of how we're thinking about law and justice. And once again, where do we find justice? Is it in the law or is it maybe not in the law? So like uh, to go to your question about the judge, um, it's kind of the autonomy of it too, though, right? But I think what Kafka really points out is if the judge isn't actually washing their hands of anything, they're just as much a part of the punishment as anyone else. So I think this is getting at the sort of epiphany I was seeing the apparatus itself is having earlier is that it, this lawful uh, definition of justice that it had received was failing and you know, perhaps that it was becoming autonomous, it somehow was giving birth to uh, a truer notion of justice that was outside of the law. Uh, does anybody else think there's something to that? I think we got to read some more Kafka because <laughs> I want to see how else he writes about this in other places. We can definitely read some more Kafka. Fortunately, a lot of his work is quite short. In fact, we could even focus on his parables. But... um. Let me try and give an argument uh, for once. So if we're seeing this blurring of the lines between law and morality, I would like to suggest that that's exactly what we experience in modernity. Um, we've seen like Foucault referenced, right? Like this is kind of what happens uh, with the way the law works, especially for somebody like um, Jeremy Bentham's um, ideas of utilitarianism. Right, and especially for him as a legal scholar, as a, as a lawyer, uh, not to pick on him too much since he uh, has such great uh, facial hair. But to be really precise, if we try to combine law and morality into this one structure to arrive at the law, and we build these machines to try and inscribe it upon people only after they've break, broken it, all of a sudden, it starts to seem like law and morality aren't really uh, in this thing called the law. All of a sudden, it seems like we don't even know what they are, right? But at the same time, maybe we can believe with the explorer that we have a conscience, right? Because he seems to be caught in between this moral and legal dilemma. Or maybe it's just a moral dilemma. But nonetheless, he does seem to be within the paradigm of the law. So uh, what I'd like to suggest to you is that um, the, the epiphany that the condemned are supposed to receive is a moral epiphany, 
when we start thinking about the commandments, right? Be just, honor thy superiors. These almost sound like they were taken out of Exodus uh, or, or Mosaic law, right? These sound like the Ten Commandments in a large way. If that's supposed to be a moral commandment, how do we make it a legal commandment? To get at the uh, point a different way, does law actually give us morality would be the question I'd like to raise. And I think Kafka answers in a resounding way, not really, because uh, the person, when they finally learn the morality, is on their way to dying. Um, the text when um, officer places himself in the machine, this portion interesting in this context because uh, it says just what is written here the officer once more maybe the explorer prepared to believe you then the officer at, le at least partly satisfied and climbed up the ladder with the paper very carefully he laid it inside the designer and seemed to be changing the disposition of all the cogwheels it was a troublesome piece of work it must have involved wheels that were extremely small or sometimes officer's head vanished altogether from sight inside the designer precisely did he have to regulate the machine I'm just I'm, I'm just thinking about the the like the of the officer's head vanishing inside the designer or inside the machine is uh, sort of saying uh, that uh, conscience or the capacity of a human to think vanishes inside the the legal machine or or the machine of the sub it, uh, in some sense, is that morality, conscience, or capacity for thought and reflection seems to be vanishing under the orders of being just. Uh, uh, I don't know if that makes any sense. I think it does. You're saying does. Like part of the act of interpretation and everything here comes with a sort of uh, unreflectivity. Right, especially when designing uh, the sentencing. What do you mean by unreflective interpretation? Uh, her point seemed to be that when his head is in the designer, right, he's seeing the sentences. He's not seeing anything besides that, even for the condemned person, right? The condemned person is, in a sense, an excuse to bring out the machine, do the ritual, and have the... Um, the epiphany given to the person, right? And people need to, at least the judge himself, needs to see that epiphany happen. So what do you guys think here? Where do we, how do we understand law law vis-a-vis -vis morality? Well, at the risk of uh, speaking too soon, I mean, I haven't read the rest of Kafka's work, but it's it seems like what we're getting at is that he's focused on the encounter, the moment of the encounter more so than the idea of any kind of architectonic system that could determine, you know, the morality of a particular thing based on a set of rules. Does that make sense? I think it does. I, think I generally also tend to see Kafka as uh, continuously criticizing uh, the Enlightenment national enterprise that places uh, a lot of value on, on, on this system of justice. Uh, on the on on the nation state and such, uh, 
uh, like in the metamorphosis also i i see uh, similar criticisms there morality uh, i don't know so much about morality i don't think kafka i, I don't know if i could say kafka's making about morality but he seems to be interested um, in the idea of what a human is and he seems to be seeing um, justice or law as distinct from that in which the human being sort of vanishes into a nothing like the be like even the bureaucratic system where um, essentially nobody the, the the person that walks into the bureaucratic system is nobody as much as uh, the person who helps uh, run the bureaucratic system so um i see kafka is doing that where he he seems to have a notion of what it means human and then he has these strong criticisms of enlightenment and and the rational on to price and what it does to the notion of human is to reduce the human in some ways within a particular logos um, um which could also be law in this case yeah i i definitely agree with you on that the the law acts as a logos it acts as a rationality it has an ordering and it's in a sense kind of autonomous it only needs people to kind of keep it turning right which i think is part of kafka's idea the reason i i want to inject the ethical here is um especially when we were talking about like right if the 10 commandments are supposed to be ethical or are they supposed to be legal right as part of the question or in a in a more general less religious sense right and i th- i see this as part of the critique of modernity can we really make efforts into the law um i mean i think we just, all would say no <laughs> i think i i would ref- i don't personally want to refrain from making any statements about what can or can't be done absolutely but i would certainly say that we haven't that has been a failure in the past and probably will continue to be i'm thinking about um, nietzsche and morality in this context where um there's a certain um confusion of the categories of of morality um that lead to a kind kind of um moral nihilism um ethics that 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 laws that are made on um grounds of uh, ethical system um uh, need to be reevaluated from presupposition of what that ethical system is and and what's the history of such an ethical system right and we might say then that nietzsche's kind of hip to what kafka's getting at right because part of the part of what i i'd like to and i don't know if we're we're reaching our 2 hour mark so i i can expect people to leave um you know if you do drop off nietzsche was very hip I, If you do drop off, thank you so much for joining us here. Your inputs and your discussion have been very well appreciated. But all of a sudden when you start to question or even try to judge the pose law to morality, there's a disorientation, right? Uh they're not there use the word this confusion of categories. But it's also an entwining, right? ethics are illegal that's funny when you're is that's and that's kind of what I I want to talk about is uh right this is kind of a struggle in society what if 
performing an ethical action is illegal. Which I think turns out to be the case a whole lot of times, isn't it? One more time, please. Performing of a moral action as being illegal um, seems to come up quite a whole lot of times uh, um, where, uh, where you're discouraged from performing a moral action as a result of, 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 of a legal um, consequence of that action. Uh, let's say there's a whole lot of uh, discussion, especially in my context, around accidents that when people on the on the on the road meet with accidents or if you if you're a witness of crime um a whole lot of more and more people choose not to participate in it to just walk away from it because of the legality involved in uh, needing to in wanting to help uh, one in in situation that's at least one immediate instance i can think of where um it's not exactly illegal but it's Indicated, um, it, it indicated in the consequences that you are best of not participating. Let me juxtapose that with an episode of Seinfeld. In the last episode of Seinfeld, uh, the entire group of friends goes to jail for witnessing a crime and failing to do anything to stop it, not even notifying the police. seemingly a moral action, yet nonetheless, um, because they didn't do what the law required, they go to trial. It's very in contrast to your example. Also, this other interesting, uh, sorry, this is just this just came to me. Um, there is this one anthropologist, uh, uh, there's this book called Life Besides Itself, which uh, she discusses this in really interesting case of uh, a colony, I think, in Canada, where uh, two young men put uh, their mother herself. So um, in that particular co cultural context, it was considered ordinary. When people grow old, um, it's, it's all right to help them die uh, because they're suffering. So these two young men, um, mother uh, get herself... Um, die and then these two people were taken to court and uh, this court was court as per how, how the colonial um, enterprise imagined care imagined life imagined value of life and they were um, charged with uh, murder uh, in this particular scenario whereas the cultural system where these two young men were it was it was highly moral of them to have helped their mother die and League within within the colonial legal system, it was considered illegal to do so. So I just just thought of that particular case. That interest, and it's very much like the penal colony, right? The explorer doesn't try to intervene directly per se, although he does think about doing it quite a few times. But to do so, he would have to break the law, or at least it's very. Yeah, I think we can rightfully say that it, for him to intervene in the execution would be a breaking of the law. I just want to say, I think as we're wrapping up, I really like this tension that you're trying to pull out, Jack, between the idea, like the idea of modernity and collapsing morality and ethics into a system of laws, which to me brings a lot of resonance with just in terms of like communities I've been in and, and movements and things I've, I've been around. Like there's a lot of 
you know, re revivalist religious movements and other kinds of movements, uh, whether they were like authoritarian leftist, like communist movements or political Islam or whatever it is, that have a critique of the modern world system. And they kind of purport to supplant it with another another system and they say this will be a better set of laws or rules that will dictate things and i think it's an interesting to, to pose it at a deeper level as a question a very uh, a philosophical one and also just one about modernity itself i think kind of blows open the problems that a lot of these movements have you know with like i can think of in political islam for example of kind of wholesale reappropriating different elements of what is perceived to be this legal system over many thousands of years of history and then saying this is the thing that's going to fix us if we just obey these rules and have the proper punishments in place then everyone will be happy and we'll have no problems um, and you can kind of immediately see where all the, these value claims that are made by different movements still operating within that framework rapidly break down so yeah I hope it's something we keep exploring because obviously we're in a in a small way we're involved in our own project here of trying to think and critique alternative ideas and critique you know modernity and all this stuff so hopefully kafka can be a nice kind of memento mori for us as we as we go to not become tankies <laughs> that's my take i just want to jump in and and say something about uh, law and justice at least for me in the story the, the law seems to be present in the colony very much, but not justice, which uh, the explorer constantly defines negatively. He can only say that this law, the system here is injustice without really saying what justice really means. Uh, so for me, the implicit assumption is that justice is is at home, the country that, that the explorer comes from. That's where justice belongs, whereas it's missing from the colony. And I think uh, this also ties in uh, to the perspective of Orientalism and the critique of modernity. So can we define uh, justice? Can we define civilization? Can we define enlightenment uh, without it being in a relationship with the negative? So the West can only be rational, can only be enlightened in relationship to an Orient that is in darkness, that is savage, that is uncivilized, right? Uh, so even in this story, justice uh, only appears negatively as that which is not in the colony. Right. So what would it mean to think of justice in and of itself without the, the sort of other side? Right. And uh, which I think does not really exist, at least in the story. Uh, for me, uh, and this might be sort of an unpopular interpretation, but for me, the, the colony is, is a reflection of, uh, of, 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 uh, the explorer's explorer's reality back home. I think the reason he escapes is because it just reminds him of 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 the system back home. That could be, and, and uh, I've tried to avoid any definings here because I I don't want to go down the wormhole of oh, but what is justice really? Right. What what I'm trying to get at is that we think of justice in terms of the law. We place the ethical, or rather we define the ethical through the legal, right? This is modernity in a, in a very general sense, right? This is um, in one way how I sort of understand Jeremy Bentham's project um, or, or those that come after his, right? Is developing an ethics vis-a-vis uh, -vis law or developing a law vis-a-vis -vis ethics, all of a sudden they get so entwined. It's a very, I think, common idea to say um, 
right? When we symbolize justice, right? But what is justice really? When we symbolize justice, we use the scales, we refer to the legal system. To give us justice is to go through the legal system in modernity. It just is, right? What I see Kafka trying to get at here is opening this up. If if the um the epiphany is an understanding of the moral principle that justice or rather the law is supposed to be deduced from, is supposed to represent, and through our punishment we're supposed to um understand. If that's our system, then morality is always outside of it, or in an, because right, we're we're appealing to something that we have to bring into law. But at the same time, when we live, we have moral things going on, right? And I don't want to get into the, the nitty-gritty of that uh, because we're going to get lost in normative ethical theories and the normatological, and it's going to get way too complicated for what I think Kafka's getting at. Uh, we're still encountering morality, right? I don't think... I think the, the person who's condemned, we see them disobeying an order by simply falling asleep, right? And all of a sudden that leads to his condemnation. There's all sorts of moral questions that that raises that the law doesn't deal with. And even in our own system, if we start applying this to our trial law, if we start applying this in a larger sense, like Alyosha was getting at, in terms of the, the, or, the organizations we construct, the parties we create, uh, all these different groups we create, and, and how we appeal how we, to rules and laws in a general sense, all of a sudden we've got to reorient ourselves. I feel like the entire discussion just moved to the chat. <laughs> Maybe we should wind down since we're kind of going to the end. I got to break my fast anyway. We should do another Kafka stories soon, guys. Oh, are, are we stopping? Or maybe we're not stopping. I'm gonna go. Have fun, guys. I was really, really good to talk. I, I think we can end it here, um, even though A just found her mic. But uh, I'm willing to talk if you want, but we can also stop if you want. <laughs> uh, we can keep the discussion going, but I'm gonna turn off the, uh, the Craigbot machine. That sounds good. Because I think we're gonna get down to about two or three people. Does anybody know how to turn off Craigbot? Oh, you kick him. Oh, you just kick him? Yep. You sure about that? That's what I did last time. Did they recover our audio? Because I never, I don't think I saw it ever again. Oh, let's see if we can do that. I think you got it typed into a creek. Well, we'll leave it going, but <laughs> it's not going to hurt to have audio if you don't.